My name is Andy, I'm one of the pastors here at Lakeview, and I am glad that you're worshiping with us today. Um, We are in a series called Hallowed Be Thy Name. We're looking at some of the Old Testament names of God. And before we jump into that, I have one quick announcement. Uh, In a, a couple of weeks from now, on October 15th, we're going to have a Fall Fest. That's a Saturday afternoon. The Fall Fest is planned and produced and put on by the youth group here at uh, the teenagers here at Lakeview Church. And so they're planning it. They're going to do most of the work. Uh, if you can imagine teenagers working, uh, you want, it's worth coming out just to see that. So, uh, no, I'm kidding. They're, they're super excited to do that and put that on and invite everybody uh, in the church family out for that. So um, I would encourage you to mark that on your calendar Saturday, October 15th in the afternoon for Fall Fest. Okay, let's jump into the Names of God series. And I thought it'd be fun, uh, since we're talking about names, to do a little name trivia. So I, I did some research this week. Um, and I'll put up a little quiz, and you can tell me the answer. Which name was more popular in the U.S. in 2021? Okay, Bonnie or Calliope? How many of you say Bonnie? How many of you say Calliope? And the answer is Calliope. Yeah. Do we have any Calliopes here this morning? Uh, maybe they were just born in 2021. Uh, <clears throat> okay, here's another one. Which name is more popular, Mallory or Miriam? How many of you say Mallory? How many of you say Miriam? And the answer is Miriam. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> what about some boys' names, right? Okay, here. Which name was more popular, Bruno or Alec? How many of you say Bruno? How many of you say Alec? The answer is Bruno. That's no surprise that Bruno was more popular, but we don't talk about it. Um, all right, and then la- one, one more just for fun. Uh, which was more popular, Drake or Finnegan? How many say Drake? How many say Finnegan? The answer is Finnegan. Yeah, interesting, right? Name trends. I like names. I like the meanings of names. I like looking a- into that kind of thing. This morning we're going to look at one of God's names from the Old Testament. It is the name Yahweh Shammah. Yahweh Shammah. So practice saying God's name with me. Yahweh Shammah which means I am there. I am there. Uh, This name first appears at the end of the book of Ezekiel. We'll get into that in just a minute. But really what it means is that God is present there or here. God is there. Um, And 2019, so just a few years ago, Corinne and I experienced the presence of God in a life-changing, very powerful way. So uh, we went to the Evangelical Free Church uh, National Conference, which happened in 2019 to be in Naperville. And so we went there, and uh, in, the, in that conference, they had prayer rooms where you could sign up for like a 15-minute prayer time and a, a prayer team would come and pray for you. And so we thought, well, that sounds good. We'd love to get it, getting prayed for. We had a, a list of things that uh, we wanted prayer requested. Uh, and so we went to sign up, and when we got to the hallway where the, all the prayer rooms were, all the slots were full. So we said, oh, well, I guess there's no room for us. Uh, we'll just have to come back another time. And as we were getting ready to leave, this guy stuck his head out the door um, and he said, hey, where are you guys going? And I said, well, we came to get prayed for, but nobody was uh, here. All the the slots are full, so there's no place. And he's like, not anymore. Get in here. You know, and 
So I didn't, we didn't know him at the time. I have since, uh, since then gotten to know him. His name's Foy Bellier, super sweet guy. Um, but Foy invited us in, didn't know us. We'd never met before. And we come into the room, and there's Foy and another guy, and there's a woman. And they said, don't tell us anything that you want prayed for. Just don't tell us anything about yourself other than what your names are and where you're from. So we're Indian Korean, we're from Stoughton. And they said, that's it. We're going to pray and we're going to ask Papa God what he has to speak to you today. And whatever he says is what we'll pray. So we don't want to know what you're struggling with. We'll just see what God has on his heart for you. So they started praying and within a few seconds, the presence of God was over overwhelming in the room to the point where Corinne and I both just began to weep uncontrollably. We couldn't, we couldn't stop ourselves. And just this stirring in our hearts of the Holy Spirit. And then they began to pray really, really specific, detailed things that they had no way of knowing about us. I mean, this wasn't like, I get the sense that someone in here is struggling with lower back pain. You know, it wasn't that kind of thing. Of course, somebody in here is struggling with lower back pain. I don't need to be a prophet to know that, right? But it wasn't that kind of thing. No, this was like very specific, very detailed, almost word for word phrases and sentences that we had written down, that we had talked about and things. Um, they, They knew, they prayed about situations from our childhood that they had no way of knowing, current prayer requests that we had and, and things that we were dealing with at that time. Very, very detailed, very, very specific. It was clearly an experience, an encounter with God. God was there in that prayer room with us. Yahweh Shama. God was there. Uh, and so the question that I have as I was uh, starting to study this name is, if God is there, what does that mean? God is everywhere. God is there. God is here. God is all present. In Christian theology words, we call that omnipresent. God is all present, everywhere at the same time, all at once. Now, we know that here, but do we live that in our lives? We know it up here. There are entire books written. There there have been PhD dissertations where the entire dissertation is all about the omnipresence of God. What does that mean? We've studied it. We've written about it. We've, we know it up here. That Yes, of course, God is with me all the time. But do we know it in our lives? And God convicted me on this point this week, and I'm, I'm passing that conviction on to you. You're welcome. Uh, but specifically with some things like, how would I live differently if I actually believed that God was with me everywhere, in every moment, in every place? I know that he is up here, but if I knew it, and believed it in my heart, how would it affect my actions? What would, how would I browse the internet differently if Jesus was sitting in the chair next to me looking at my screen? Right? How would I use social media differently if God was one of my followers? What would I post different? How would I share things different? What would I look at differently? Right? How would I talk to my wife differently if God was there in the room watching our conversation? Maybe I would take the edge of irritation out of my voice and speak with a little more affection. Right? How would I speak with my kids differently if God was right there watching me interact with them? Maybe I would lower my volume. Uh, Maybe I would speak with a little more gentleness. 
Yes, I would still hold them accountable and force consequences. That's part of parenting. But maybe I would do it more in love and less in anger. If God was right there, uh, how would I uh, have a conversation, a phone call differently? If I'm on the phone with a friend and if I imagine it was a three-way call and Jesus was the other person on the call, maybe that uh, prayer request, that, that juicy bit of gossip that's so carefully packaged and disguised as a prayer request, hey, pray for Jesse because you know what he did and blah, blah. Maybe I wouldn't share that. Maybe I wouldn't say that if I actually thought that Jesus was on the line with me, right? So we know up here that, of course, God is everywhere. That's part of what it means to be God. But do we live it? Do we know it in our lives? And what I wanted to focus on in the sermon today is how do we experience God's presence, God's name in the Old Testament that's revealed this week is Yahweh Shammah. God is there. If we are experiencing God's presence every day, then we will begin to live as though he is there. But it's when we don't experience his presence that we forget, hey, God is with me. I need to live a little differently. So I want to talk about how do we experience God's presence. And the way that I want to do that is just, I want us to kind of do a flyover of scripture and look at some of the times that God was there for his people in the Old Testament uh, and the New Testament. And then we'll talk a little bit about how we can experience his presence today. The name Yahweh Shammah, comes from the very end of the book of Ezekiel in the Old Testament. Just to set the context for you, the nation of Israel was God's chosen people and they had rejected God. They had rebelled against him. They had decided, um, we're going to chase after other gods. We're going to set other goals for our lives. I want more money. I want more success. I want more status. I want more power instead of I want more of God. So they were chasing after the false gods and the false idols of the nations around them and they had rejected their God. And so God allowed them to be conquered by the Babylonians and carried off into exile. But even though they were in exile, God did not abandon them. He went with them and he sent prophets to them to remind them, you're not always going to be in exile. Someday I'm going to bring you home. Right, And so at the very, Ezekiel was one of those prophets. And at the very end of the book of Ezekiel, God is talking about this new Jerusalem, this new city that he's going to build for his people. And here's what he says, the last sentence of the book of Ezekiel. And the name of the city from that time on shall be the Lord is there. Yahweh Shammah. I'm going to build you a new city, a new Jerusalem. I'm going to bring you home, and I am there. I am going to be there. That's what the city's name is going to be, Yahweh Shammah. Really, uh, we'll see that God fulfills that promise as we look through the story of Scripture Adam and Eve, at the very beginning, the first two people God created them, they were with God in the Garden of Eden. And then when they sinned against God and rejected and disobeyed him, they were exiled from the garden. But God didn't abandon them either. He went with them. And really, if you look at it from Genesis chapter 3 all the way through the end of the book, after Adam and Eve, were uh, their relationship with God was broken, the entire rest of the Bible, 
is all about God breaking through into human history so that he can be there with his people and so that he can make a way for us to be there with him. So here are just a few examples. There are hundreds of these in scripture. I don't have time to go through them all. The nation of Israel had landed in slavery in Egypt. For 400 years, they were slaves in Egypt, oppressed by the Egyptians. And then Moses, an Israelite who had murdered an Egyptian and was on the run, a wanted man, God found Moses and said, I want you to go back to Egypt. And the way that that happened is is a really interesting story. Moses uh, was taking care of some sheep for his father-in-law Jethro, and he looked over and he saw a bush that was on fire. But the bush wasn't burning up. The leaves weren't crinkling up and, and the, it, wasn't, it was on fire, but it wasn't burning up. So Moses said, wait a minute, I need to go see what's going on with this bush. And in Exodus chapter 3, verse 4, it says, When the Lord saw that he turned aside to see, God called to him out of the bush, Moses, Moses. And he said, here I am. Then God said, do not come near. Take your sandals off your feet for the place on which you are standing is holy ground. And he said, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. And Moses hid his face for he was afraid to look at God. God was there with Moses at the burning bush. And when God sent Moses to Egypt to rescue his people, God told him, I will be with you when I send you to Egypt to bring my people out of slavery. So Moses did that. Went to Egypt, there's the 10 plagues. We've heard that Bible story. We've seen the VeggieTales video, right? He brought his people out of slavery and they get into the wilderness and God is with his people in the wilderness. Exodus chapter 13, verse 21. The Lord went before them by day in a pillar of cloud, to lead them along the way, and by night in a pillar of fire to give them light that they might travel by day and by night. And look what it says here. The pillar of cloud by day and the pillar of fire by night did not depart from before the people. God never left them. Throughout all their complaining, throughout all their grumbling in the wilderness, throughout all their, uh, their accusations against God and Moses. Why did God bring us out here? He's not very good. He brought us out here to die, blah, blah, blah. God never left them. He never departed from them. He was with them the whole time. A few uh, chapters later in Exodus, the people of Israel are in the desert and they run out of water to drink. And God tells Moses, I want you to go uh, strike the rock. There's a rock over here. I want you to hit that rock with your staff. And from that rock will flow water for your people to drink. So Moses does that. He hits the rock. Water comes out. The Apostle Paul tells us in 1 Corinthians 10.4 that that they drank from the spiritual rock that followed them. And that rock was Christ. Jesus, before he was born of the Virgin Mary, was with his people in the rock so that when Moses struck it, water came out from the side of the rock and gave life to his people. And a a, a little while later, Jesus would be in the flesh, hanging on the cross. The Roman soldier would stab him in the side with a spear. And what came out? Water and blood to bring eternal life to everyone who trusts in Christ. The rock in the desert was Christ. God was with his people. He was there in the desert, there in the wilderness, in the cloud, in the fire, and in the rock. 
the nation of Israel eventually came out of the wilderness into the promised land, and a king named Solomon built a temple for the Lord. A massive and beautiful temple where God's people could come and worship him in Jerusalem. And as Solomon was praying to dedicate that temple, God showed up in a powerful way. Second Chronicles chapter 7, verse 1. As soon as Solomon finished his prayer, fire came down from heaven and consumed the burnt offering and the sacrifices. And the glory of the Lord filled the temple. And the priests could not enter the house of the Lord because the glory of the Lord filled the Lord's house. The word that's translated glory there literally means heavy. God's presence was so heavy in his house that as the priests would get closer, they just would go down on the ground because the presence of God was so strong and so heavy. The glory of the Lord completely filled the temple so that nobody could even enter into it. And when the people of Israel saw the fire come down and the glory of the Lord on the temple, they bowed with their faces to the ground on the pavement and worshiped and gave thanks to the Lord, saying, for he is good for his steadfast love endures forever. There are so many more times in the Old Testament when God was there with his people. He was there with Elijah when he faced the prophets of Baal on Mount Carmel. He was there uh, uh, in the still small voice, not in the whirlwind, not in the fire, not in the earthquake, but in the still small voice. He was there when Elisha raised the widow's son back from the dead. He was there over and over and over, and I don't have time to go through all of them. I would love to. But this is the story of God breaking into human history to be there with his people. And ultimately, he did that by sending his own son, Jesus Christ, to become a human being. God himself became a human being and was there with us in the flesh. One of the names of Jesus, and we'll see this a little closer to Christmas time, is Emmanuel, which means God with us. As amazing as the the presence of God was in the Old Testament, it was even more amazing in Christ. Hebrews chapter 1, verse 1 says, Long ago, at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets, but in these last days, he has spoken to us by his Son, whom he appointed the heir of all things, through whom also he created the world. He is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature, and he upholds the universe by the word of his power. If you want to know what God is like, look at Jesus. He is the exact imprint of God's nature. He is the radiance of the glory of God. Read Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and you will see a picture of what God is like. God is there in the flesh through Jesus, God with us. And that's not all. God is there inside of us through the Holy Spirit. When we place our faith and trust in Jesus Christ, God sends his Holy Spirit himself. He comes to live inside our physical bodies. Not only is God with us through Jesus, he is in us through the Holy Spirit. Acts chapter 2, Peter had just preached this big sermon and said to the Jews, you guys crucified the Messiah. And they said, what are we going to do now? And Peter said, Acts 2.38, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For the promise, 
the promise of God's Holy Spirit. That promise is for you and for your children and for all who are far off, everyone whom the Lord our God calls to himself. That's us. The promise is for us. God is with us in Jesus. God is in us through the Holy Spirit. And at the very end of the Bible, the last book, almost the last chapter, we see that the promise God made to Ezekiel to build a new city is kept. Revelation chapter 21, verse 1, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them, and they will be his people, and God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. God is there. This new Jerusalem that he promised the prophet Ezekiel is going to come, and its name will be Yahweh Shammah. God will be there. God is there. God is here. God is there. God is available to you. He lives in you. He is with you. He cares about you. And everyone who comes to Christ and puts their faith and trust in him, everyone who entrusts their lives to Jesus, will be in that new city there with God. In the meantime, God is here with us. He's here this morning, right now. So the question is, if Yahweh Shama is true, how then do we experience his presence? The whole story of the Bible is the story of God breaking into our world so that he can be there with us and make a way for us to be there with him. But how do we experience his presence? I love this. It's simple. It's almost so easy that it's unbelievable. If you want to experience the presence of God, all you need to do is look for him. What do you mean? Don't I need to be a monk? Don't I need to go up on a mountain for six months and burn incense and fast and pray for 12 hours a day in order to see God? All you have to do is look for him. Anybody can experience the presence of God if you just look for him. Jeremiah 29, 11 is a beautiful verse that many of us have memorized. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans to prosper you and not to harm you. Plans to give you a hope and a future. Wonderful promise. But most of us stop there. What if we kept on reading? Jeremiah 29, verse 12. Then you will call upon me and come and pray to me and I will hear you. You will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. I will be found by you, declares the Lord. If you want to experience the presence of God, all you have to do is look for him. God promised, if you seek me with all your heart, I will be found by you. Thus saith 
the Lord. I will be there with you and I will be found by you if you seek me, if you look for me, if you reach out to me. When you're in the middle of the night and you're crying out, I hear you because I'm there. This is a phenomenal promise in the Old Testament. And I don't know about you, when I was reading this and studying for this this week, I was so excited I could barely stand. I was walking around my office, jumping and shouting, and Jesse and Joe are in the offices next door, and they're thinking, like, what's going on in Andy's office? Who's he on the phone with? I don't know. You know, uh, I was so excited. God's here. God's there. All we have to do is look for him, and he promises, I will be found by you. That's amazing. That's amazing. How do we look for God? A few different ways. Look for God in the ordinary. Right? In, in, in the everyday, everywhere, every place, everything. Look for God in the ordinary. God is with you when you're washing the dishes. God is with you when you're scrubbing the toilet. God is with you when you're mowing the grass, when you're uh, breaking up a fight between your kids, when you're helping somebody with their homework, when you're vacuuming, when you're brushing the dog hair off your clothes before church. God is there with you. Look for God in the everyday, in the mundane, routine, boring ordinary parts of your life because God is there. Um, There's a very famous classical Christian book called Practicing the Presence of God by a monk named Brother Lawrence. And you might say, oh, a monk, well, he probably was super spiritual. He would have these six-month-long spiritual retreats where he he wouldn't talk for eight months at a time and all that. And of course, he's going to experience the presence of God. Actually, that's not his story at all. He signed up for the monastery and they sent him to the kitchen and put him on uh, kitchen duty. He spent his days peeling potatoes, boiling stews, washing dishes, cleaning the floor, things that we normally wouldn't think of as spiritual things. And yet he had this incredible experience of God's presence throughout his life because he looked for God in the ordinary things. Here's a quote from his book, Practicing the Presence of God. He says, We ought not to be weary of doing little things for the love of God, who regards not the greatness of the work, but the love with which it is performed. We must know before we can love. In order to know God, we must often think of him, and then we come to love him. If you want to find God, In the ordinary, you need to think about him while you're loading the dishwasher. You need to think about him while you're in the shower. You need to think about him when you're shaving or whatever it might be, right? Look for God in the ordinary places and you will find him because he has promised, if you seek me, you will find me. So look for God in the ordinary. We also need to look for God in the usual, Look for God in the usual places we would expect to find him. What are those places? Well, prayer, Bible, church. Well, duh. Of course I would expect to find God in prayer and the Bible and church. Uh, That seems really common sense. But do you know how many Christians I talk to that do not expect to encounter God when they come to church on a Sunday morning? They they don't open their Bibles to, to encounter God. 
They're, not, they're saying their prayers, but not necessarily because they expect to meet God in those prayers. Sometimes we, we get so in, in, um, in a routine that we just kind of turn our brains off. So we come to these things spiritually brain dead, and we're just sort of going through the motions, saying my prayers, checking off my Bible reading plan for the day, going to church, yeah, uh, and forgetting that the whole point of all of this is to encounter God is to meet with God, is to experience his presence because God is there with us. And you know, I, I don't know, uh, I wouldn't come to church on a Sunday morning to hear a short, bald, white guy talk. I come so I can encounter God because what I have to say doesn't matter, but what God has to say makes all the difference in the world, right? So stop for a minute. Look for God in the usual places that you would expect him to be. The last one is this, look for God in the quiet, in the disappearing places, in the places that if we don't intentionally carve out some quiet space, there won't be any. Because our world is filled to overflowing with busy work, social media, news, content, blah, blah, blah. The list goes on and 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 on. Every single moment of our waking lives is filled with some kind of noise and content. And if we want to find God, we need to clear out some quiet space. I don't know about you, but oftentimes when I get in the car, an earbud goes in, a podcast goes on. And I listen to good podcasts, sermons, Tim Keller, Crawford Loritz, Francis Chan. Great sermons to listen to. I listen to uh, interviews. I listen to Christian theology podcasts. I listen to uh, podcasts that tell stories of people's testimonies, how they came to faith and all the things that God rescued them from. Phenomenal, amazing stories. Turn on the Christian radio. Life 102.5, right? All the way. And sometimes all of that noise is a cover so that I don't have to sit alone with my thoughts on God. And is it bad to listen to sermons? No, please do. Should we not listen to Christian radio? I love Christian radio. Please listen to it, right? But sometimes I'm so busy listening to that content, that spiritual content, that I'm actually not spending time with God. Sometimes I'm so focused on filling out the answers in my workbook that I'm not stopping to say, what is God speaking to me through this Bible passage? I'm all focused on making sure I have all my answers right. right? And we miss the point. Is it wrong to do that kind of Bible study? No, please do it. But don't miss the point that our, our goal is to experience the presence of God in that. And sometimes, I believe this, the busyness of our culture and the, the sheer amount of noise and content, I think, in some ways, is demonic. Because Satan does not want us to get away into quiet places with God. He knows if we get into a quiet place where there isn't anything else coming, where it's just me and God and nothing else, that we will begin to hear God speak and experience his presence, and that will change our lives. So he keeps us busy, busy, running, news headline, notification, meme, email, Bible verse of the day. Yeah, Satan can even use Bible verse of the day notification to distract us 
from being alone with God. He'll use anything he can, right? So we need to get away into the quiet places and look for God and we'll find him because he will be found when we seek him with all our heart. God is there, Yahweh Shammah. God is there, God is here. I don't wanna just talk about this. I actually want to practice it. So we're gonna end our service a little bit differently this morning. I'm going to read from Psalm 139. And as I do that, I want you to just allow these words to wash over your soul. These are God's words. And then we're going to sit in five minutes of silence. And just let the Holy Spirit stir up in you whatever he's going to stir up in you. At the end of that five, there'll be a little timer that shows up on the screen. At the end of that five minutes, the service will be over. I'm not going to come back up and dismiss everybody. The service will be over. If you want to sit here longer than five minutes, you're more than welcome to. So if you have conversations, just please take them out into the lobby and have them there. Psalm 139. God, investigate my life. Get all the facts firsthand. I'm an open book to you. Even from a distance, you know what I'm thinking. You know when I leave and when I get back. I'm never out of your sight. You know everything I'm going to say before I start the first sentence. I look behind me and you're there. Then up ahead and you're there too. Your reassuring presence coming and going. This is too much, too wonderful. I can't take it all in. Is there any place I can go to avoid your spirit, to be out of your sight? If I climb to the sky, you're there. If I go underground, you're there. If I flew on morning's wings to the far western horizon, you'd find me in a minute. You're already there, waiting. Then I said to myself, oh, he even sees me in the dark. At night, I'm immersed in the light. It's a fact. Darkness isn't dark to you. Night and day, darkness and light, they're all the same to you.